behind the back, wrap around, and climbing the ladder is Dante Hall. Sexton. Step back. Good! Patty at three. Oh, he's a flamethrower! What a shot! 6-3. It's good! It's good! It's good! Colin Sexton made the floater! They'll review it! But oh mercy! Colin Sexton may have saved the season! Tigers set to trigger it in. Smart gets it into Watford. Threw it away! He'll run it down in the backcourt. He will take it to the top of the arc. Watford three at the buzzer blocked by Herb. The putback, no! The buzzer sounds! And Bama hangs on! Oh my goodness! What's good, everyone? My name's Jordan Harper, and you're listening to another episode of the Double Dribble Podcast, a podcast dedicated solely to covering Alabama basketball year-round. And unfortunately, all good things must come to an end as Alabama's season, the best season in program history, came to a close last Friday night. Alabama lost to San Diego State, the five seeds, 71 to 64. Um, it, it was a very, very close game all throughout. And San Diego State just kept punching, punching, punching early on and had Alabama down by five at halftime. And it was just one of those games to where the longer it went, the closer it was, the more pressure got on Alabama. And that's typically how it happens when a one seed in the tournament faces, obviously, a lower seed. But for all one seeds, when it's a close game and it's getting close to halfway through the second half, the pressure starts mounting on you. And give credit to Alabama. They, with about 12 minutes left, Alabama took a nine-point lead after a Nick Pringle dunk and – San Diego State took a very well-timed that very well-timed timeout to stop the run, stop the momentum. The crowd was really getting into it. And then it became the Tremel show. And really it was Darian Tremel hitting a three after the timeout, which is a cardinal sin. A cardinal sin after a timeout when you're coming out on defense. Gave up a three to Tremel. Tremel gets a layup, and then he hits another three. A personal 8-0 run by Darian Tremel, who ended up with 21 points. The driving force, the smallest guy on the court at five foot ten, carried San Diego State late in that second half from a nine-point deficit and ended up leading by seven late in the game. I mean, it was just an incredible turnaround for San Diego State who played incredible defense all night long, held Alabama to 11% three-point shooting. We've seen Alabama have some really bad shooting nights, but three of 27 and arguably the biggest game of the season, it it caught me off guard. Um, I thought Alabama would hit some threes against San Diego State. I went on, you know, Drew DeArmond's ESPN radio show um, during the week saying that, San Diego State is a tough defense. They don't get up in your grill and force turnovers, but they really make you work the shot clock, and they 
kind of pressure you into taking um, rush shots, feeling, you know, you, you get the pressure of the shot clock going down every single time. And Alabama loves to play fast, so they get kind of out of sync. They get rushed. And you saw a lot of those type of shots from Javon Quinterly getting blocked at the rim at least five or six times. Brandon Miller took a lot of ill-advised shots. I mean, he finished three of 19. He he had a horrible shooting um, NCAA tournament. He shot the ball horribly the first game, didn't make a single shot. Second day, game, he didn't shoot well at all either. Um, I believe he went five for 17 and went three of 19 um, against San Diego State. So a really tough, I mean, even with the three of 27 shooting uh, from three, I mean, they even went 20 of 20 of 44 from two. And Alabama's typically well above 50% from two. It's just they couldn't finish around the rim. They got good looks, I thought, early on. They were taking good shots. Just couldn't hit any, couldn't get in a rhythm, and give give credit to San Diego State. They they really, really did well in that. That's what they do. They're tough. They're veteran. I believe they had four seniors and a junior starting, and this is the same team that won thirty games when COVID hit and the season had to get canceled. They were thirty and two. They were probably going to go on their way to being a top three seed, um, even coming out of the Mountain West. And they stuck together, and now they're seniors, juniors, and they're ready. They, I mean, they came out and they they played the same against Creighton. They they played really tough, and Creighton is just as talented as Alabama is. They're not as deep, but they're just as talented up um, at the top, and really stymied them. Made them. I believe that Creighton only hit two threes. They didn't allow a single fast break point from Creighton or Alabama, two teams that love to get up and down the court. Their defensive game plan worked to perfection. They hit enough shots. They hit double the threes Alabama did, 6 of 17, and they will take that any day of the week. Now, Alabama played excellent defense as well, albeit – San Diego State, you know, Tramel hit three threes. Parrish, who's a, a good three-point shooter as well, hit two. Outside of that, they they finished 20 of 52 from two. And this is a team that finishes pretty well. They're strong. They're tough. They're long. But Charles Bidiaco and company inside, they really pressured them into taking tough twos. And a lot of that was the drop coverage. They come off those high ball screens and give San Diego State credit again. They made some tough shots. They hit some of those in crunch time when it mattered. But they Alabama made them work for a majority of the game outside of the last 12-minute blunder that Alabama had when they were up nine. Alabama played great defense, I thought. Now, it wasn't a great offensive game, shooting 32%, 11% from the, from the three. And, I mean, really nobody played well. Um, I thought Charles Bidiaco played – I mean, he played his game. He, he protected the rim well. He scored efficiently. But outside of that, Alabama's got to get more from their guards. Uh, Mark Sears combined and Javon Quirley combined for 8 of 24. Um, I just mentioned Brandon Miller's 
shooting line of three or 19, one of 10 from three. Sears went over five from three. Clowney over three from three. Griffin one for five. I mean, that's, that's not going to get it done in an NCAA tournament game. It nearly did. Alabama was only down by two with 45 seconds left before they – I don't know if they were intentionally fouling or if Riley Griffin didn't mean to or was just trying to to go for the ball and just end up fouling being aggressive, which is fine. But um, I thought they could have sat down and played good defense and just played the odds. But all that aside, I thought Alabama played great defense, but they just couldn't hit shots. And people want to blame the system, blame Nate Oates' system for that. Let them go ahead. That same system has won two SEC championships, two SEC tournament championships in the past three years. Sure, people will say that it's a great regular season system. What's great in the regular season can be great in the NCAA tournament. But the thing is, is that you have to have the same success. You have to hit. It, it, all, it all comes down to hitting shots. Now, people want to say, and I don't care about these narratives. Um, I'm just bringing up what what I see online and what talk show pundits want, want to spew out just to cause some controversy. But Alabama doesn't live or die by the three. They don't. You can say it. You, you can look at their numbers and say that they shoot 33s a game. That's great. Doesn't matter, though. Alabama's proven all year that even when they're not hitting threes and they're hitting, they, they hit several games of where they hit below 20% and still won. Why? Because they're an elite scoring team on the inside. Yeah, they shoot well above 50% from two, and all of those are in the paint. They don't take any mid range shots, all of those are in the paint. They're a really good free throw shooting team as well. They had four guys finish over 80% of free throw shoot. So they don't live and die by the three. Now on nights when they don't hit the threes, it makes it it makes it tougher for them to win. And it showed today, or not today, but it showed on Friday when Alabama only hits three of 27 from three and they still have a chance to possibly win the game in an NCAA tournament game against San Diego State, who's you know won 30 games plus. It it shows that that that's not what matters. Okay. It's not all about the three ball. If they would have hit two more threes, they win this game. I mean, that's a matter of the fact. Some nights you're on, some nights you're off. Ask Purdue what, what, what night they were on. Ask what night Arizona was on. I mean, it just happens. That's the NCAA tournament. That's why you have four teams in Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, Miami, and UConn in the Final Four, and no big-name teams no number one seeds make it to the Elite Eight. Because sometimes you just have a bad nine at the wrong time. And that happens. Am I upset that Alabama only made it to a Sweet 16 and with their team this talented and the best team in program history or had the best season at least? Sure. But I know what this team accomplished throughout the season, and that means something. They made it to the second weekend. They could have lost in the first first week or the first game, second game. But they destroyed those teams by 20-plus. They get San Diego State, who the farther you go, the tougher the teams get, sure. 
and they just ran into a good veteran San Diego State team that they didn't match up well with. So I'm, I'm still happy of the season that Alabama had. Hate that it ended the way it did and as prematurely as it did. But hey, that's college basketball. That's what makes the NCAA tournament so wonderful is that you have the final four that you do now. But I'd love to have seen Alabama in it. Love to. But maybe, you know, I, I still think Alabama will make a Final Four when we least expect it. Just like when Alabama made the Elite Eight in 2004. I remember sitting up in my, in my living room watching them beat Syracuse, Jerry McNamara the year after they won the championship with Carmelo Anthony. Watching them beat them pretty good to go to the Elite Eight. I remember the joy I had watching that. Now, even though if we would have faced any of the other teams besides the machine that was UConn and Emeka Okafor and Ben Gordon, they would have made it to a Final Four just because that team got hot at the right time. Could next year's team get hot at the – sure, sure. Just like teams like Auburn back in 2019 when they were destined to probably be a seven or an eight seed until they got hot late in the season, won the SEC tournament, and ended up going on a run. Sometimes that's just when it all clicks, it clicks, and it's hard to stop. You can look at any of the teams right now, Florida Atlantic. They've never won an NCAA tournament game in their history until this year, and they get hot at the right time. Miami, they were pretty good all season, got hot at the right time. I don't know. I'm still, I'm still happy, like I said, about this season. And I kind of want to look back at the season that was, um, just kind of recap it and close the book on it. Now, I'll probably have Matt on here in, in two or three weeks, hopefully, um, once school starts dying down for him. I know that's um, been keeping him off the show most of the year, and that's perfectly fine. And I'm sure he'll have his thoughts on the season because I went back and looked or listened and I had Alabama winning 22 games this year, and he had them winning 21. I would say that they exceeded both of our expectations pretty pretty good. But, you know, Alabama started off 5-0 and before they went um, into the Phil Knight Invitational, got drubbed, by, got drubbed by UConn, beat North Carolina in a thriller when they were number one, beat Houston on the road when they were number one, Beat a good Memphis team, had a tough loss against Gonzaga, which was still a fun game to watch. And then that's when the run started in SEC play. Winning their first eight games before, or actually their first 12 games, started 12-0 and before losing at Tennessee in a tough game. Win their next four to go 16-1 and before losing their last game to Texas A&M to finish 16-2 and two in the SEC. And that SEC run that they were on was incredible. It just seemed like every night they step on the floor, you knew they were going to dominate the opponent, and they did for the first half. I've never seen a team beat another by 57 in conference like Alabama did on against Vandy. And they did the same thing to LSU as well. Beat them by 40. Did the same thing to Georgia. Beat them by 49. 
I mean, it, the way they dominated teams was so astounding, made them look like high school teams. And those teams had nothing they could do to counteract it. It was just Alabama was that good. Now, were some of those teams bad? Sure. But they were pretty bad SEC teams, which would be a lot of other conferences middling to best teams. And it would take a perfect storm for Alabama to end up losing into in the tournament, and that's what it did. Or that's what happened. They went on to win their next, you know, the next three games to win the SEC championship. Pretty handily. Missouri's game, Missouri game was pretty tough going in or in the second half, but they ended up pulling away late, and the other two games were pretty much blowouts. And then go to the NCAA tournament, win their first two against Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, and then Maryland by 20-plus, and then that heartbreaking loss to San Diego State. You saw Brandon Miller, albeit with all the controversy that happened, step up and win SEC Player of the Year. SEC Freshman of the Year, win National Freshman of the Year, All-American first team. I mean, what an incredible season he had. He's probably the best player to ever put on an Alabama jersey. And he'll likely be a top, top five pick in the NBA draft. And just an incredible talent that went out in such a sour way um, didn't have his best moments in, in the NCAA tournament. And sometimes that happens. It just hate, hated to be during that moment to where he he just struggled. He, he just couldn't get in a rhythm. It was really tough for him. He was battling that groin injury since the SEC championship game and just really couldn't get on track. You saw guys like Noah Clowney, who was rated in the 80s and 90s and some some – you know, some rankings, recruiting rankings. He's going to be a possible lottery pick, if if not for sure a first-round pick. And everybody loved him coming into the season. They, they, they heard good things about him. He's a 6'10", 6'11", stretch forward that, could, that can defend, defend the rim, defend the paint, guard multiple positions. And he comes in, and they go on the, the foreign tour – and just lights it up, and he plays really well, and that's kind of got Noah Clowney Nation started. And coming into the season, I remember him hitting five threes in a row to start the game against South Dakota State. And, goodness, the rest of that year, he played phenomenal basketball. I believe averaging nearly a double-double, about 10 points, nine rebounds, about a block a game. I mean, he had a fantastic year, um, and he's going to make a good pro. He will. I mean, he shot over 50% from the field, or about 50% from the field, a little bit below 30% from, from three, average nine, you know, 10 points, eight rebounds a game, would a block a game as well. He kind of got stuck in foul trouble a lot. He had a lot of bad luck in terms of foul trouble near the end of the season and really kept him off the court, which stung. But um, he had a fantastic year and played his way into a lot of money. And finally, Javon Quinterly. 
there's not much you can say about this kid and how determined he is. I mean, he, he's been a great ambassador of Alabama. He's been a great leader since he stepped on campus. When he left Villanova, he was leaving with turmoil after the, the FBI case with Arizona and everything that really tainted his name. And he was just looking for a fresh start. He was looking for a fresh start. He knew that he couldn't stay at Villanova. And like he's mentioned before, Brian Hodgson, who is now the new head coach at Arkansas State, huge congrats to him. Huge congrats to Charlie Henry as well um, going to Georgia Southern. I mean, those are two great assistants right there that are getting the head coaching jobs that they deserve and have earned. But Brian Hodgson believed in Javon Quinterly. Javon Quinterly believed in Brian and Alabama. And he came in and won SEC Tournament Most Valuable Player his second year. Averaged 14 points. I mean, just had a great year. Shot over 40% from three. Came off the bench most of the year. Won six man of the year in the SEC. And then came back the next year. And while his percentages were down, he was taking a lot more shots. Averaged 14 points a game. And then ended up tearing his ACL against Notre Dame in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And you weren't sure when you were going to see him again. We thought we'd see him after after Christmas, maybe early conference play, but he ended up coming back way before then. He came back to feel not invitational. Shocked us all. Defied the odds. That's how t- determined he was to get back on the court and play great basketball. Really carried this team at times too, um, late in the year especially. Scored 22 points in the SEC championship game. Scored 22 points against Maryland in the second round of the NCAA tournament. I'm going to miss Javon Quinterly. He's going to be a guy that I'll always remember. And I'll always remember and enjoy watching him play. So kind of let's look at the roster real quick before um, – before we close this thing out and kind of prepare everyone for what to expect going into the offseason. Now, you know Alabama's got to replace two assistants with Brian Hodgson and Charlie Henry leaving for head coaching jobs. So that will probably be on Nate Oates's, at the top of Nate Oates's list. Because you know transfer portal guys, they're done with their recruiting class, but transfer portal guys are probably going to want to know who the assistants are. But I believe Nate Oates, Antoine Petway are, are have already made relationships with guys good enough to where they they could probably pull some guys even without having two other assistants. But I, you know that's number one on his list is to find two assistants um, to fill those spots right away. But Alabama's going to be losing Javon Quinterly, Noah Gurley, Dom Welch um, to graduation, and then Brandon Miller and Noah Clowney are going to leave for the NBA draft. I mean, people can speculate all they want with Noah Clowney, whether he should or shouldn't leave, but Noah Clowney's going to be gone. So that's five players gone. And if you take away Darius Miles' scholarship as well, that's six. 
So there's six spots here. And they had a four-man recruiting class with Muhammad Diabate, Sam Walters, Chris Parker, and R.J. Johnson. So that leaves two portal spots open for Alabama to pick from. So with those two portal picks, um, those are going to be two crucial picks that end up could be could end up being starters. Could be a huge part. I mean, Mark Sears was a huge part of this team this past year in the championship team. And Mark Sears came in and you know averaged 13 points a game right off the bat. I mean, he for the first half. First three quarters of the season, Mark Sears was Alabama's second best player behind Brandon Miller. I mean, a lot of the times he was the I mean he he was the engine that made the train go, especially when Brandon Miller had some off nights. Mark Sears carried him. So let's look at some of the portal guys that Alabama has reportedly been reached out to. Um, it's been kind of a short list so far. Nate Oates typically keeps things kind of under wraps until it's um, until they end up deciding. So a lot of people don't don't know that Alabama's reached out, but but they have. Um, so a lot of times you can't get discouraged if you if Alabama hasn't reached out to somebody and it's, they're not reported because Alabama's kind of under the radar like that. But Alabama's reached out to Nate Comies. He is a freshman guard from Lamar. Averaged 18 points on 48% shooting. Um, they've reached out to him, 36% three-point shooter. They are also reached out to Kamari Lands. Um, he was a former top 100 guy um, at Louisville, 6'8", small forward, um, 205 pounds. Played for um, the under-19 Team USA um, as well from Hillcrest Prep. Now, he had a rough season with um, rough time at – at Louisville. I mean, Louisville had a rough year, period. But um, I still believe in him. He started hitting a stride the last month of the season. Um, he's a guy that could play the four where could could take um, Noah Clowney's spot um, if he were to go to Alabama. He only averaged six points a game um, at Louisville, but he, he also only played like 20 minutes sparingly um, most of the season, and a lot of that was at the end of the season. Alabama's also reached out to um, Stony Brook wing Frank Policelli. I'm going to say that's the way that you spell it or pronounce it. He's a 6'7 stretch wing who um, averaged 14 points, nine rebounds a game, shooting 37% from three, 80% from the free throw line. Now he is from Stony Brook, so you don't know, you know, you kind of understand what the level of difficulty of the competition was there. Um, but he had solid numbers nonetheless, and he is a six seven six eight stretch forward um, that obviously a lot, a lot of teams are going to be after, especially Alabama. Alabama's also reached out to USC's six foot five guard and six man of the year in the Pac twelve, Reese Dixon Waters. Um, he averaged eighty or eight. He averaged ten points a game off the bench. Um, he doesn't shoot it well, but. He is a guy that's a two-way player, can really play defense, really defend multiple positions. If you can get his offense and his shooting on track, he could be a very, very valuable piece for us um, for a team. Alabama's also reached out to Denver Jones. Now, this is a kid that I'm really high on. Alabama's 
Alabama's, you know, they reportedly had an in-house visit, um, I believe today on March 27th on Monday, uh, reportedly had an in-home visit with Denver Jones um, today. Now he's a former um, Buckhorn player back in 2016, 2017. Uh, when I was living in Huntsville, I actually got to watch him face off against Hazel Green when Kyra Lewis was still there. And that was a fantastic matchup to watch. Two elite players at that level going at it. Denver Jones scored 29 that game. Kyra scored 27. Now Hazel Green barely won. But Denver Jones was very, very good. Um, and I was very walked away very impressed with him. Now he's a six foot two shooting guard from um, Florida International. He went to JUCO his first year, um, right out of right out of high school. He transferred um, to a high school in Tennessee. He averaged twenty points a game at FIU. Shot thirty seven percent from three. Um, he's super talented. Super talented. He's a very he's got great shooting mechanics. Very smooth. Gets to the rim. Um, finishes. Um, he's not the most. He's not the most skilled, not the most athletic, athletic player, but he's a guy that I could see Alabama really pursuing to be that another guard, especially a guard with a little bit of size to him as well. Um, and also, Pac-12 Freshman of the Year and Washington transfer Keon Minifold um, entered the portal, and Alabama's reportedly been in contact with him. Um, and one of the favorites, according to some sources, that Alabama is the favorite for to land him. Now, he's a native of Flint, Michigan, so you know Nate Oates has the connections of Michigan right there, um, and he's insanely fast and can finish at the rim really well. Needs to work on his shot some. Um, he's only 6'1", but he is a guy that has an intense motor and incredible speed downhill, getting from point A to point B. So I'll, I'll kind of keep everybody up to date on, on, on the portal, on assistance. I'll make an episode when some things go final like that uh, to kind of update everybody, give you my thoughts. And I appreciate everyone listening to the Double Dribble podcast. It's been a great season, and I appreciate everyone that stayed uh, with me throughout um, every episode every week. But until next time, I'm Jordan Harper. Thank you so much for listening to the Double Dribble Podcast. Subscribe on all platforms. Until next time.